unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. And a special surprise lined up for this week's episode. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I am fantastic-ish. So almost fantastic, just a little bit short of fantastic today. What's what's going on? I probably just didn't have enough green tea before we started recording. Is that what you call it? Green tea? Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of that. (laughs) Okay, so shall we get started? Let's jump into it. Okay, so our guest today is Donnie Bryant, a direct response copywriter and marketing consultant. And since 2007, 13, 14 years, he's written sales copy in more than a dozen niches. Agora Financial, Dan Kennedy's GKIC, Early to Rise, have all been his clients. And he's also shared the stage with such legends as Lamar Tyler, David Deutsch, who's been on our program, and the late Clayton Makepeace. I heard Donnie speak on an invitation-only copywriting webinar hosted by Agora Financial a couple years ago. He said some things about curiosity and neuroscience that, um, as they related to copy that really caught my interest so much, I knew I wanted to have him on the podcast someday, and today is that day, and we're lucky to have him. But first of all, there's no reason to think your luck has run out when you hear this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. Uh, lawyers, lawyers, lawyers. My larger clients do this all the time, though. Donnie, welcome, and, and thanks for being here. There's there's no lawyers here, right? No. Um, no. <laughs> no. Not today. Not as we have an electric know. fence around my house that keeps them out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it can smell them, right? Um, so we, we both admit that neither of us remember exactly what you talked about on the Agora call. But I believe all the green tea, <laughs> <laughs> the green tea, oh, well, all we, that green tea. We're going to do a special episode of Nathan's green tea. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I believe you are a big. You and I are are both a big and ongoing student of neuroscience as it applies to copywriting. So yes, let's start with this question: What's the most surprising thing you've discovered about how neuroscience affects or or interacts with how copywriting works? Uh, well, it's, it kind of goes back to the thing that I talked with Agora about, and it's just the power of curiosity. And the, if you, when you get it right, it, you know, it, can, it can literally change everything for your copy. But the, I, what's, what was most surprising to me is I, I found a study, uh, I don't remember where it was done, but they, they were given people uh, a test to see how strong curiosity was. And they found out that people would be willing to uh, risk electric shock or get certain electric shock to get a piece of information that they were going to get anyway, but to get it a little earlier. So yeah, I'll take a shot. Or they would pay money <laughs> to get uh, to have magic tricks revealed to them early 
versus later. People in your brain, when you have what's called the curiosity gap, your brain just it 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 needs closure on whatever the piece missing piece of information is. And so electric shock, they'd rather be shocked than than deal with that gap, the existence of a vacuum in their knowledge. And so we can use that in copy to drive people from one, you know, through copy from the top down to the bottom or to click on a link to get to another page or sometimes even to buy things. I got a text the other day from a friend of mine and uh, Andy Stanley, you know, Andy, Mm. um, he, he was selling something and it was like this C word will change how you do email marketing. And my guy, my friend sent some text. Do you know what the C is? I have a guess, but I don't really know. He said, I'm really ready to pay $100 just to know what the C word is. I don't even really want the thing, but I just need to know what the C word is. And I think he ended up buying it. He never told me what the C word was. So I'm still. <laughs> Maybe you got to split the hundred with it. But, you know, as, as far as curiosity and electric shock, I'm wondering if that electric fence around your house is going to keep the lawyers out now. <laughs> That's because why they keep running some into information the They can make money with. Maybe they'll <laughs> risk it, you know. They keep, they, that's why they keep trying to climb it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a tall fence. Okay. Well, l- let's, let's get down to the brass tacks. Um, you've said that you told me salesmanship is print in print. The phrase salesmanship in print is an outdated term. And especially considering that you live in the great city of Chicago, where the phrase was coined, that's mm-hmm. a little surprising. So why do you say it's outdated? That's, that's why they kicked me to the suburbs. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Are you curious about this? <laughs> I am. I got to know. And Nathan said he was dying to know as well. Well, look, I think in our day and age, salesmanship is obviously what we're doing. But a lot of times when we think of salesmanship, we think of sleaze, we think of hype, we think of dishonesty. And a lot of people, especially with social media, they don't want to sell. They figure this is this is wrong thinking, by the way, because you have to sell everything. Right. But they think I can just hide on Facebook. I can be a cool person and people will eventually buy from me. That's really false because uh, you had to sell everything. There's actually by here by my house, there's a cemetery and there's a, there's a sign that says salesmen wanted on the cemetery. You had to sell burial plots. They don't sell themselves. People die. The bodies are piling up unless somebody will sell them a burial plot. So you had to sell. But salesmanship and print kind of turns people off, except for those of us who are kind of, we're the illuminated. <laughs> We've been indoctrinated into this thing. But I, I, I'm preferring now to call it showmanship in print, which is probably also Chicago-like. Showmanship, a good salesman is a good showman. Mm-hmm. But in this day and age, we have to, more than anything, I mean, the first thing we have to do is grab people's attention. We have to stop them where they are in their tracks and get them to pay attention to us. And you don't do that by selling. You do that by giving them a good show. Um, so like I, we, have to, we have to compete with Netflix. We're not more interesting than Netflix, right? We're, we're not, our sales pitch is not. Um, but if we can put on a good show with shocking facts or crazy stories or little curiosity things that drive you nuts that will get that will pull people in and get their attention long enough for you to you know get to a, a formal sales pitch okay i i like that that i think it's a really good point too i mean uh as much as i 
hate to admit this, Facebook has changed everything. I feel the same way. Even if you're not doing stuff on Facebook, it's still sort of lingering in, in you know, the air. So yeah, great, great point. But let's talk about salesmanship because at one time in your life, you used to sell jewelry face to face. Yes. And I, I believe you learned a tactic that makes it painful for people not to buy. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, totally. Uh, it, it was, this was years ago when I was actually a schmuck at the time. <laughs> I'm still probably a schmuck. Um, but I, I got a, I knew somebody who got me a job selling jewelry at, when it was back when it was Marshall Fields on State Street, the big store. Mm-hmm. And it was at Christmas time, so it was crazy. Yeah. And uh, one of the things you, you sold, you sold face to face though too, right? I did. I, I I sold housewares. Oh yeah, that's perfect. So you you've done this before. So you know uh, one of the old things that people would are descriptions that people would use of uh, of selling, or one of the things you had to do in selling is transfer of ownership. You make the uh, the potential buyer feel as if they already own it, and then it's harder for them to give it back. Or you know if you put a tennis bracelet on a, on a wife's wrist. She's, she's <laughs> get the credit card. We're buying this thing. Right. It's not, let me hand it back to you. It's much harder. And that when it comes back to neuroscience, that's called the endowment effect. Hmm. And that's, I mean, that's one uh, manifestation of that. Once someone takes ownership of something or they feel like they have something, they're much more, uh, they're vehemently opposed to giving up what they have far more than getting something that they want that they don't yet have. So you would, you would like have them put on the tennis bracelet or the necklace and then maybe, you know, show them a mirror or take, yep. have them take a selfie or something like that. <laughs> well, we did not, this is some years ago, but there, selfies weren't very popular back then. Right. Uh, but yeah, you, you take it, you let them look at it. Like you said, in the mirror, have their husband. Oh yeah. You like this, don't you? Can't say no. <laughs> It can't. No, There's no winning. Screwed. You got to buy it for it. Yeah. <laughs> and so he might be able to say, oh, we'll pick this up later, but he's not going to say out right now. And a lot of times they just pull out the credit card and make it easy for him. But you did the same. I, I believe I'm, I, mean, I have no reason to think you wouldn't do it with housewares. You, oh, yeah. I would sell Cuisine Arts uh, around Christmas time at, um, it was at Bloomingdale's in, in yeah. the DC suburbs a long, long time ago. And yeah, I, I um, I would, I was never analytical about it the way you were. So I don't know what I did, but I know I, it, it just felt like I was, you know, it was a lasso and it kept going faster and faster. And I was just, you know, I, I sold more than anybody else and I wasn't getting a commission. It was just like, you know, winning, you know? So I had a friend that used to sell vacuums and one of her, biggest selling tactics was she would say, well, just keep the vacuum for the weekend. I'll be back on Monday. And if you don't like the vacuum, we'll go ahead and take it back. And that huge increase in sales once she started doing that because of that same psychological effect, the way that I like to use this in my copy is I go out of my way to really paint the picture of what life is going to be like once they own this thing. So um, this is what your vacation is going to be like, or this is what your uh, task management system is going to be like, or this is what, whatever it is that they're going to buy. I, I do my best to paint the picture of what it's going to be like so that they, they can't pick it up and feel it in their hands, but they can envision, they can envision and they can see themselves owning the experience. And I was just wondering, 
as far as copy goes, uh, is there other ways to kind of get that same effect? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you hit on the main one. And absolutely, the the use the keep the vacuum over the weekend. That's, that's like the ideal situation. You can do the same thing with a car. It's, I don't know if anybody does that anymore. But years ago, my father-in-law, well, he, he was so angry because it made him buy a car he thought he wasn't going to buy. Just keep it over the weekend, fill the tank up with gas. And actually, I think Gary Halbert wrote something like that. I'll give you a full tank of gas. <laughs> And you can just r- drive it for the weekend. And if nothing else, bring it back. You got a free ride. And, you know, that's how you sell things. But in copy, yeah, I think the main way is giving, painting that very clear picture of what it will be like when you have, when you own that thing. Another, another way that I'm, I'm using, it works in email especially, is instead of giving discounts, you got 20% off. You can give somebody a credit. Like here, you own this credit. This is owed to you. This is your property. Uh, here's a fifty dollars credit or a five hundred dollars credit. Uh, and and now I, this is my credit versus a discount that you want to give me on something that I got to buy. And just a small uh, difference in the psychology behind that. You know, it has. We tested it in the spring and then didn't again in the summertime. And and it was it was like fifteen percent better. To, for whatever reason, just saying, here's your credit, here's how you use it, versus we're going to give you 20% off the thing that we want to sell you. So it's kind of the same thing. You own a credit. Because the discount, you can not use it, and you didn't really lose anything. But right. if it's the credit that you, don't lo- that you don't use, it's almost like not using money that's in your pocket. It's crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of the same, same thing as putting the ten- tennis bracelet on. I'm putting money in your hand, but it's but it's going, to eva- it's going to evaporate on Friday. Yeah, I always like to talk about fundamentals. And this, this goes back to um, something that sticks out in my mind. I don't remember what chapter it's in, but in, in Victor Schwab's book, How to Write a Good Ad, uh, he qu- quotes somebody who's saying, a man will fight all week to keep a dollar he has, <laughs> but he won't put that much time into getting a new one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is, we know that it's true yeah and, and and it really works so another another question for you and i hope you'll forgive me for bringing up chicago again um <laughs> but um it is where some of our greatest comedians are from and you said you have a technique copywriters can use to engage readers minds more deeply and this can be done by swiping a technique mastered by top comedians so what's yeah. that all about so, okay, we can never talk about Chicago too much. <laughs> oh, good. All right. <laughs> Clayton Makepeace used to beat me up about Chicago because he, he, he said we're one of the, the poop hole countries <laughs> <laughs> because in the media, they paint us like we're very violent and things. Not really as bad as it seemed. But we could talk about Chicago as much as you like. Okay. Um, for, so here's, here's what I mean by swiping a, a technique from a comedian, the, the, what's the reason that we laugh at jokes? And well, what do you, you know what the answer is, but I, I, I'm curious to know what you think, how you would say, I'm putting you on the spot now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's surprise. I think it's like, you know, misdirection and sometimes delight and sometimes shock and, and sometimes embarrassment and just sometimes a hearty, you know, celebration of, common ground that there, but it, it's almost always surprise. Yeah. That, I don't know if I tipped you off on that, but that's exactly, 
the oh no i've, I've studied comedy inside now <laughs> just to determine i don't want to become a comedian but <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think you're a comedian in what you do but i, I agree it enriches our, our experience um but yeah it's exactly right surprise is it makes is why we laugh because it's, you know what however whatever kind of setup it is i'm not always because of course like you said sometimes you just say something raunchy and we laugh because for some reason us guys at least my wife hates raunchy humor but us yeah. guys we can't help it right. he said poop <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny whatever but uh but when, when the setup it, it paints it usually will show you kind of a familiar situation but then there's a, a weird twist. It takes you in, in an unexpected place. And in our so in nerdy neural neuro, neuroscience terms, <clears throat> the hippocampus, it it predicts, like it, it scans what's happening and predicts what's going to come next. And if you can set somebody up where they kind of have it, they feel like they know what's happening, or they kind of recognize what's happening. And then you give them surprise and delight, it activates and engages the hippocampus in in a way that it kind of sucks the whole brain into what's happening they now are locked into what's happening because something different is is going on it's almost like a survival mechanism something's different what's going on you have to analyze and if you can do that you pull people deeper into your copy or your video whatever is going on Uh, and it's just like a joke the same part of your brain that works for a joke works when when you can surprise people in copy that's really good. You know, I was reading a book by a, a guy named Coker. He's a professor of music and, and an accomplished jazz musician, a saxophonist. I mean, he played with some top names. And it it's actually the clearest um, description of uh, music I've seen. He was talking about improvisation. He said, you know, you've got to follow basic motif basic theme mm-hmm. but not exactly the way people would expect it but if it's more than 50 percent of what they wouldn't expect then it's not going to work and yeah. i think it's the same principle so the, the guy's improving uh, on a riff and he goes up instead of down or he goes to a, a flat seven instead of major seven or something and and it's it's a little unfamiliar but it, it's not it's not like music from outer space or something. Right. And so it's the same principle, isn't it? Yeah. And it kind of explodes in your mind. You, if you, like you said, you're familiar with the tune and, and then something different happens. It's like, Whoa, that was cool. And it makes you, it just, it, it opens another kind of experience for you. And yeah, they're totally the same thing. I hadn't heard that, uh, the musical connection, but I think, you know, the way the brain works, so many things are linked. Just like, for example, with curiosity, the parts of the, your brain that work curiosity works. And when you look at brain scans, it's the same as what works with hunger. See, the part of your brain that works when you're thinking about food. Wow. Which that's is a, interesting. a primal thing, right? We all need to eat. We're driven to eat. And we're driven to satisfy curiosity the same way we're driven to eat when we're hungry. So our brain is interesting in that way. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. 
It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Gary Halbert said that curiosity was the the number one thing. I I think what he didn't say, maybe he assumed people would figure it out or it was like curse of knowledge with him, but he definitely did, is he knew that curiosity by itself, I remember, you know, the example he gave in the newsletter, a pig that flies, you know, and, but it, it has to eventually be tied into something. Yeah. It has to move towards benefit, desire, um, wanting, um, fear, greed, right. s- some, some primal emotion, but, but curiosity is definitely the way to hook people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you're right. One thing that you mentioned, you know, it made me think of curiosity has to have in in the beginning of it, it has to be related to something you're somewhat familiar with. Cause if you started talking about flying pigs, <laughs> I've never seen it. I don't know how interested I am in it. Right. If, you, if you're talking about a, a secret tax code that can put $50,000 back in my, you know, or take $50,000 off my tax bill. I know I like money. I know I hate the IRS. <laughs> They're trying to get over the electric fence, too. <laughs> <laughs> you must have a really high one. Uh, I'm thinking about adding concrete. Like, this is getting crazy. <laughs> you know, I've heard that if you put little flat screens with porn uh, playing on a loop, that they'll, they'll, they'll stop right there. They'll, they'll, they'll never. That is a really great idea. My neighbors may not like it very much. They'll no. kick me out of the homeowners association. I know that, that there's always that problem. Yeah. It's not in the bylaws though. So I, they can't come to me and say, Hey, we told you. Listen, these homeowners associations, they'll make up a new bylaw about <laughs> porn on flat screens playing on a loop within 30 feet of the house exposed, you know, outwards towards this. I mean, they do that. I wonder if, if we, if we lined up, if we lined up cars and put them inside the cars, it's not part of the fit. It's not part now of the structure. That, that's a good idea. I like that. David, you sound like you speak from experience on that one. <laughs> well, I just have a good imagination. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is where we're going to leave that part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Nathan's very good at getting us back on track. Okay. <laughs> so um, let's talk about neuroscience again. And um, yeah. this... This may this may relate to what you just said. I don't know. You, you said that there's a real neurological reason, the most important one, to critically nail your headline and your lead in every piece of copy. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a principle or a reason why behind why it matters so much to get the headline right and the lead right. And this is something, again, I'm maybe not telling anyone anything that you don't know, but just kind of highlighting how it neural the kind of neurological or psychological yeah but if there's a better reason to do something you already need to know you might do it more or remember it yeah more, so that's good yeah I, mean, I i think this stuff is like you said we're just we're both kind of students of this stuff and it's fun to talk about it yeah. and for those who are beginning to get into copy you can be interested in learning more about neuroscience there's more and more information and studies coming out all the time so you know it'll, it'll give you 
a chance to get to know humans better, <laughs> yeah. which is what we do. Uh, but the reason the, uh, that headlines and, and leads are really critical is a, a principle called framing. So again, this is something that you know, but research shows that the first piece of information that you get dictates how you perceive everything that follows. You know, you're setting a frame. And obviously, that's usually going to happen in your headline or in your lead or in email, you know, your subject line and maybe the pre-header uh, text sets, sets the tone. And this is so crazy. Uh, I'll just give an example that it fascinates me to no end in my own testing. And we're testing with hundreds of thousands of emails. But we, we've tested where probably everyone would see this if they looked. A, B, testing a subject line where the body of the email is identical, the landing page or sales page is identical, and they're clicking through an order form that's identical. The only difference being the subject line, we have seen open rates, of course, go up or down. Click-through through rate on the email goes up or down. Conversion, I mean, you know, from the sales page to the order form, clicks go up and down. And then ultimate conversion to the sale goes up or down. The only difference being a better or worse subject line because it sets, it sets the frame. Someone's in, in, you know, you're bringing the, in the right people in the right state of mind to buy or not. So it seems like you would lose it. And I think most people think this. The open rate is the, is the main thing that will be affected by your subject line. In fact, the conversion all the way at the bottom is affected by the subject are, are we talking about differences that whisper or differences that shout? No, I'm talking about the, their studies, they, they differ, but I've seen them as high as 25, maybe like 24% on conversion. Wow. Wow. Conversion to sale, like as in they actually gave money. Just, and the only thing that was different between two emails was, was the subject line. Preheader text the same, body of the email the same, landing page the same. It, in, you know, it's interesting about that. It, it occurs to me the same thing's probably true in every single conversation you have in your life. Yeah. And so I can imagine if you say to someone, well, I don't want to bore you, but <laughs> you set the frame of boring. Or if you say, now, listen, I don't want you to get too excited, but <laughs> you, you set the frame for excitement, right? right? Yeah. I mean, just, wow, what, what a great point. Framing, yeah. I've always suspected that, but I've never seen tests of, of you know, n- not the conversation thing, but the, the email <laughs> thing that you were saying, that the subject line in an email is going to set the tone. I mean, that's sort of more of an artistic or musical <laughs> or uh, theatrical thing, but it's the same thing as what you're saying, framing, yes. right? Yeah. Same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy. I was shocked. This was maybe last year when I noticed it. I was doing analysis for a campaign I was working on. Let's see what we did last time. And it would, it would be so strange. Like, how come? I never thought about it, but how come it affects so deeply? Because you, you make the assumption that after you get to the, the body of the email, which is identical, probably people are more or less the same. Totally false. And especially once they click through, because obviously you sometimes... If, you have, if your email says sex, right, and everybody opens, but right. the body of the email is, you know, to get your liver healthy, <laughs> drink some of this. And it's like, yeah. okay, nobody clicks. But then if you're, if the subject line is how to, make, how to have a healthier liver, the right people click, or the right people open, and then they click. So you'll have a different click-through rate. But anybody who makes it to the sales page, you'd think is more or less equal. They're, they're on the same page, but they're not. The, the subject line impacts every metric going forward. I think you're right. If you if you step up to 
I mean, entering a conversation, the first line, or maybe even before you first speak, the, the way that you walk up to somebody, if you walk up like a creep, <laughs> then they're like, I don't, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, he's probably watching porn on the flat screens out front. <laughs> out front, uh, on loop. Yeah. So uh, you've said that AD, AIDA, the old attention, interest, desire, action, should be replaced yes. by CDA. What What do you, I, I can almost guess what you mean by that, but I'll. Yeah, you, you, your guess would be correct, I bet. Well, what would you guess it is? Curiosity, desire, Absolutely. action. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And curiosity, of course, gets attention, as we mentioned, and it gets you interested, or at least it gets you ready to be interested in something. I'm, I'm already engaged. I want to know what's happening. And you have a chance like no other, you know, to, to get somebody, pull somebody into whatever narrative you're, you want to tell. Right. And I like that because until you have a lot of experience, you kind of have to make some pretty, pretty awkward guesses as to what to do with attention and interest. But yeah. Curiosity is, is, is natural. I mean, it it's just what drives us through the day. It's how you, get pets and little children. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it, it's it, you, every, every time you, you watch a newscast, they're using curiosity, yeah. especially the teas right before the uh, commercial break. So yeah. uh, we're a lot more familiar with that. I, I really like that. Let me say one other thing just about curiosity. Like I, like I mentioned, you had to have a, a level of awareness, you know, you're, I keep doing this. It's so weird. Your, your, uh, your reader has to have some level of awareness of what yeah. you're talking about. You can't just say, I have a friend. He, he's never paid me money. So he's not a client. And actually I haven't paid attention to him. So he's not really a friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but somebody, you know, some right? dude yeah, who I like very much, but I, you know, it's been a while since we talked because he always wants to do the poetic thing. And he will say, why coconuts? And like um, you already lost. It's poetic. It's beautiful, but it's, there's no interest there. I don't know what coconuts have to do with money. So you have to have a level of awareness of what the thing is. But then there also has to be if they know too much, then they don't. There's no reason for them to be curious. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a writer-centric problem because just by our very nature, most writers are interested in conceptual ironies and paradoxes, yeah. you know, like, like why coconuts actually float upwards instead of fall from the trees south <laughs> right. of the equator or something right. totally absurd like that. And, and yeah, wow, why is that? I know water swirls down the drain, you know, but, but most people are not like that. And even the kind of people who are like that, when they're reading your copy, are probably they're scrolling through a million emails, you yeah. know, they're, they're hate scrolling through Twitter, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so they're, they're not in that expansive reflective mood and people don't usually buy stuff in an expansive reflective mood. Right. Right. So, yeah. I, I, I love that point that, um, and yeah, I, I understand a poetic friend. I, I like to do that when I'm not writing copy. I, right. I, I get a kick out, but I know that that's not going to work. It's not going to make anyone any money or help anybody who needs the product. Right. You could, yeah, it's exactly right. So, I mean, I, I just wanted to point that out because if sometimes our, our writer friends will say, oh, that's, it is curious because you don't know anything about it, but you have to know a little bit about it. It has to be about something that's relevant to you. But if, but if they know too much, I just critiqued some copy yesterday where a guy was saying, you know, how come this guy can't build muscle? It's because he doesn't have protein. Like, oh. Great. They know that already. They know that. Tell me something that I don't know. 
So, you know, you got to have, there has to be a level of awareness, but it's limited where they don't know, or they know that they don't know a lot of something about it, or at least you can introduce, there's something you don't know about this thing that you know about, but don't talk about something they don't know about. Or if you do talk about it in, in terms of something that they do know about. Yeah. So you have to learn to bracket it between what they already know and something that's going to be too much of a mental reach for him. It's got to be in the, in the middle. Right, got to be in there. I just wanted to make that point. So no, no it's he a says, great point. Great Donnie point. said, I needed to be curiosity focused. Yes. But there's, there's, there's bounds. Like you said, there's, there's some, some brackets that you got to fit into. If somebody wanted to reach, get in touch with me after this crazy conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, I am on Facebook. I very rarely do anything there. Uh, it's the best thing for me is my website, which is Donnie Bryant.com. And I haven't really updated it in a while, but if you sign up for my newsletter, then I, you know, you'll hear from me about once a week. If I were smart, I would do it more often, but. You're, you're too busy helping people make money to write more often than that. Right. I, let's call it that. Okay. <laughs> Good line. Whether it's true or not. Yeah. I do spend a lot of time writing, but I, I also try to try to spend time fighting off IRS people and playing with, playing <laughs> and with lawyers. Mine. Yes, and lawyers. And building, and, building the electric fence. <laughs> and sometimes you got to clean up the fried carcasses off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so we started off the conversation talking about a, a C word for your emails. I think uh, we made a lot of callbacks in this episode. We talked about comedy and we talked about curiosity. So there's a few candidates for what that C word might be. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Donnie, for coming on and sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Been a blast. I've, I've been actually waiting for David to call me. Like, what's <laughs> 193, huh? That's what. That's where we're at with. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is correct. Yeah. Um, well, I, I didn't want um, anyone to feel impinged upon by reaching out to you right after I saw you in Agora call. That was yeah. the main reason. I've been thinking about this for a while and, you know, procrast- I'm really good at procrastination. So. <laughs> I, I, I saw a t-shirt someone was wearing. It said eventual procrastinator. Like they don't even procrastinate on time. Yeah. I'll procrastinate later. That's, that's the advanced version, right? Hi <laughs> yeah. yes. right, guys. This was a fantastic episode. And just one more time before we're out of here, Donnie, what's your website if people want to go check you out? Yeah, Donnie, which is I-E, D-O-N-N-I-E, hyphen Bryant.com. Like I said, I don't, I don't update the site very often, but if you sign up for the, for the newsletter, I email my list about once a week. It's most weeks. And, and that's where I give my most, you know, my latest thoughts on this exciting world of writing copy and, and fighting lawyers. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and you're an ongoing researcher on neuroscience. Do you ever put anything about that in there? Every once in a while, most of my readers are are uh, are not even copywriters. They're they're just they're entrepreneurs who are trying to, you know, figure out how to sell better, and they don't want to hire me. <laughs> I should send them hate mail, I guess. But <laughs> you know, just, just send them an invoice. <laughs> uh, so I don't. Okay. I don't I do sometimes talk about neuroscience or, or it's very light, but um, mostly it's, it's just, you know, I try to be useful helping people think about ways that they can increase their, the, you know, increase their conversions or, or finally get out their butt and write something. Well, this is a lot of fun. Thank you. And really valuable too. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. And for the listeners out there, if you want more episodes, 
not quite just like this one, but kind of just like this one. You can get that over at Copyright. Each one is unique, right? Each one is unique. And very valuable. Yeah, you can get more of that at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, guys, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.